Today is a great day. It's Shivratri, something that uh, all the Sanatanis of the country look forward to. Uh, we perform the puja of uh, Shiva in various different ways uh, today. And India is uh, the land of uh, Shaivism. And who better than Dr. Subhash Kark to um, give us some perspectives on Kashmiri Shaivism. Yes, uh, the discussion of today is uh, Kashmiri uh, Shaivism. But before that, a few words about um, Dr. Uh, Subhash Kak. Although he does not need any introduction to the uh, Bharatiya audiences, let me say a few words. Uh, it's an honor for me to uh, say that. He's an Indian-American, he's a great scholar, computer scientist, and you know he's one of those luminaries on Indology-related matters. He's a Regents Professor of Computer Science at uh, Oklahoma State University, and he's also the member of Indian Prime Minister Science, Technology and Innovation Advisory Council. Is extensively published uh, articles on history of science, philosophy of science, ancient astronomy, etc. His writings, personally speaking, his writings on uh, Kannada were, uh, you know, uh, extremely inspiring to me, which I personally keep taking to uh, the audiences. Now, for the kind of rich alternate thought that exists in the Bharatiya intellectual tradition, which you know, uh, people like Dr. Subhashkak have really uh, popularized and opened the opened eyes of people like me uh, to look back with um, uh, uh, great pride. Of course, you know, it's on us to take that intellectual tradition uh, further. Uh, that's a different matter, Dr. Kak is also honored with the Padma Shri um, Award in the year 2019. So, um, Dr. Kak, let me um, begin with, um, you know, uh, a, a very, uh, you know, personal question. What were your first encounters with Kashmiri Shaivism? How did you get uh, uh, introduced and uh, those initial moments and how it grew? We would like to uh, hear that from you. Well, uh, namaskar and shivratri greetings to everybody. Uh, very auspicious uh, day to uh, talk about uh, this subject. Now, as a Kashmiri, um, the shivratri is the biggest celebration. So I remember as a small child, uh, we would spend uh, several nights. In fact, this was this is a period of several nights where the shivratri would be uh, celebrated. So the whole night on Mahashivratri, we would be chanting Om Mahashivaya and uh, other uh, Sanskrit um, um, mantras. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, as young boys, you would 
sometimes uh, um, go off to sleep, you know, doze off and this and that, but it was a um, night or period of heightened awareness, which is, uh, of course, uh, the purpose uh, of uh, Shivaratri. Um, and uh, Shiva, as you correctly pointed out, uh, uh, is worshipped all across India, and there has been so much of uh, exchange uh, in all directions. And um, But uh, Kashmiri Shivaratri uh, or Kashmiri Shaivism, which is also called the Trika system, has some unique uh, flavor that um, your uh, readers uh, would like to uh, hear about. You readers in the audience absolutely. would like to hear about, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> and, and, you know, while obviously, you know, being a Kashmiri and being in that <clears throat> environment, uh, you, it's a, uh, you know, natural uh, introduction into uh, Kashmiri Shaivism. But I'm sure there, there have been moments where you have felt um, compelled to take a deeper journey into the uh, uh, scholarship and intellectuality and the bhakti of uh, Kashmiri Shaivism. I would like to uh, know about those intense uh, moments that uh, you know uh, uh, propelled you into uh, the deeper world. Well, after I finished my PhD, uh, I veered off into some deeper questions of uh, science. And these questions um, are centered on the idea of the observer or consciousness. You know, in quantum mechanics, the observer creates uh, complications that um, scientists are still wrestling with. And um, uh, of course, uh, all of uh, Indian thought and Kashmir Shaivism uh, is no exception to it, is centered on uh, Atman, on uh, consciousness, on Chetana. And so uh, there was a kind of a samanvai, there was a kind of a meeting of both the uh, modern um, physics and neuroscience and philosophy tradition, which uh, you know, I came to discover has been inspired greatly by Indian thought, uh, by um, Vedanta in particular. And in fact, uh, uh, it's widely known that uh, the creator of quantum mechanics, uh, Erwin Schrodinger, who was himself uh, a Vedantin from Austria, credited uh, the um, Upanishads as having been the inspirational seed for his work. So all of these things coming together made a lot of difference uh, to me, to my search, and um, that um, pushed me to further investigate what was the tradition as uh, the great masters of Kashmiri Shaivism had written about. And um, that got me um, investigating uh, this, uh, this, this river, if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, the aspects that you mentioned about Schrodinger, that, that itself is uh, another discussion. And, you know, we could uh, go deep into that uh, sometime. So that that brings me to um, you know the uh, center of Kashmiri Shaivism. Uh, can you please uh, highlight the salient philosophical and traditional aspects of Kashmiri Shaivism that help our audiences to appreciate that more and you know undertake their own journey into that? Well, Kashmiri Shaivism is uh, pure Vedanta, right? And, uh, but there is a certain twist. 
because one might ask, what's the difference between Shankaracharya's Vedanta uh, and Krishnin's um, Shaivism? The difference is uh, difference is more of uh, how one uh, relates to it at a subjective level. Perhaps uh, at a popular level, the understanding is that uh, um, that uh, whole uh, the jagat is mithya, Brahma Satya jagat mithya uh, in um, Shankara's Vedanta, and therefore uh, it's probably all right for a person to step away from all the complications of life in this uh, world of entanglement and focus on one's uh, pure self. Um, so this is uh, the traditional uh, Vedanta. While in uh, Kashmir Shaivism Vedanta, if I may use that term, the uh, idea is that this embodied world itself is a projection of Shiva. And therefore, one doesn't have to walk away from it. It's just a question of perspective. It doesn't change the deeper meaning at all. And, um, and therefore, you can be a householder, you can be a person doing whatever you are doing in your life, but you can still recognize yourself, which is that you are Shiva. Uh, so it's also viewed as a system of um, self-recognition, pratyabhignya. Uh, that is one of its central um, philosophies, that through recognition, uh, through vimarsha, through reflection, through, uh, and vimarsha is a uh, representation here of shakti, uh, you can then uh, find yourself, and this is uh, the whole uh, challenge of turning the gaze, because we are normally only looking outside, you know, through our consciousness, without being um, aware of who we are, because that is uh, left for granted. So here, how do we turn the gaze? Um, how do we, through the reflection in Shakti, uh, see ourselves? So, and this uh, has led to many uh, practices, yogic practices or sadhana practices, which are a part of the system, which is of course, um, what we are raised in as children. Um, and, uh, and so it's been sort of, uh, Wonderful to see that uh, um, this system which was communicated to us sort of indirectly, because uh, as you know, in um, families, we are not necessarily having a philosophical discussion on why we are doing this or why we are doing that. Uh, because the idea in Sanatana Dharma is that, well, you will pick up the deeper meaning when you're ready for it. So, so we, I, I found this, uh, uh, coming together a wonderful experience. I should also tell you another thing that uh, the great master of uh, Kashmir Shaivism, Abhinav Gupta, who wrote many, many books, uh, including uh, Tantra Loka, uh, which is an encyclopedia of different tantras. Kashmir Shaivism is a tantric system and tantra is the very structure of consciousness, you know, tantra uh, from that perspective. He was also, he also wrote a great commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. So Kashmir Shaivism also brings in Krishna's uh, message into it uh, while clarifying that there is a slight uh, difference in perspective. Uh, for example, uh, Krishna uh, in the Bhagavad Gita speaks about uh, uh, Smriti, Jnana and Apohana, right? That you discover yourself through uh, Smriti and from where Jnana arises, knowledge arises, and apohana is the covering that some of this knowledge uh, gets uh, under, which is why one doesn't know that 
um, Paramatma, the same Paramatma resides within each human being, right? Now, in um, Kashmir Shaivism, you have the same thing. Shiva is within each. In fact, each one of us is Shiva. But the sequence is slightly modified that it is Jnana first and then Smriti and then Apohana. And what that really means is that you can have a direct experience of pure knowledge. While in, um, in Vaishnavism, um, uh, in, uh, the, um, in, in, in the teachings as in the Bhagavad Gita, you're supposed to uh, go through the discipline. So Smriti comes first. Smriti, not just the Smriti of the Vedic system, Smriti in terms of all memories that constitute our inner being. And, and so there is this uh, some, some of a difference that there is a kind of a chamatkar that can ha happen, that uh, jnana can come before you are aware of uh, the entire framework uh, of knowledge, which constitutes the various smritis uh, that uh, are your being. And this could perhaps explain uh, a phenomenon such as what Srinivasa Ramanujan would uh, talk about that at night, he would suddenly get a uh, equation in his dream, in his vision, because if he didn't have the Smriti associated with that formula, how could he have that vision, right? So this uh, seems to tie with, uh, with the um, uh, Shaivite view that uh, knowledge can arise uh, spontaneously because Shiva is within us. And as, as the covering uh, goes away because there are different coverings which limit our knowledge. There are five different coverings which are mentioned in the Kashmir Shaivite uh, tattva system. You know, in Sankhya, you have 25 tattvas. In Kashmir Shaivism, there are additional 11 tattvas which are related to both covering and unfolding of Shiva's, Shiva tattva within ourselves. So how that unfolding takes place um, is of course a part of the sadhana and uh, that sadhana is uh, celebrated um, most of all because Shivaratri occurs every month but in on Mahashivaratri which is now that is celebrated in, for one to be united uh, with one's Vimarsha that Shiva and Prakasha and Vimarsha become one and, and one recognizes one's true nature. <clears throat> That's that's insightful and quite immense. And uh, uh, I I I wonder, you know, in India there is there is the immense philosophy that we have never remains merely philosophy. It always is translates itself into a, a complex, you know, system tradition collection of traditions and then associated uh, you know social organizations and rituals so that that all the complex philosophy is accessible by the entire society that's a significant difference from what we think of as philosophy in the modern world where it is way too intellectual and far removed from, from the um, common man and this, of course, you know, every philosophy in India, every tattva, siddhanta has translated into its own set of traditions and rituals, which, which all of us experience. Uh, 
how would you uh, explain the salient features of those traditions associate that are associated with the uh, the philosophy you know in 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 kashmir what did you see i, I you know is something that i mean well uh, well the there is really the same things for example there are uh, uh, yogas associated with kashmir shaivism and they are not really all that different there is uh, based on um, uh, where uh, who your guru is or what kind of uh, shiksha you obtain or what kind of a mantra that you do japa on uh, and uh, the puja that you might perform uh, and and you can do it in so many different ways um, but uh, the details probably uh, are um, not of that uh, great consequence there is also of course um, various other uh, yantras that were used in fact it's uh, generally believed that shri yantra which is of course a great uh, system uh, which is uh, popular all across the country shri yantra the worship uh, arose uh, uh, in kashmir and then spread all over and uh, now uh, uh, together uh, with uh, kashmir shaivism the trika system uh, are many different agamas so uh, the the uh, journey of the sadhak also is uh, associated with the study of the agamas that you go to the agamas you do the shiva sutra for example you do, do the other tantras and through those study if you are a very very serious sadhak you are able to sharpen your vimarsha to such an extent that then you can see shiva in your own you know the bimba and pratibimba that unification of it uh, and you are able to see uh, yourself for who you are because what normally happens is that uh, uh, consciousness also can constrict and i spoke a little bit uh, earlier about the coverings that can separate us from our understanding but but a person who has been able to through uh, one sadhana sharpen one's awareness is does then just as in the bhagavad gita become a jivan mukta right then he while doing all that is being done without others being aware that this person is really a realized individual um, you, that person interacts with everybody and they find that he's perfectly normal but he and he certainly a part of this world and as i mentioned before the central difference in lived uh, kashmir shaivism is that you have to be a part of this world but you can be a jivan mukta which to this extent is uh, completely uh, consonant with uh, uh, with um, krishna's teachings uh, in the bhagavad gita so in some ways it it is um, it is uh, coming together of different threads uh, so to speak in bharatiya thought and to come up with a system where you do go back to the vedas but you also go to the agamas so you do study uh, the vedas uh, uh, the upanishads and all other texts and do your sadhana um, but just as even shankaracharya he spoke about jagan mithya but he was also worship worshiping the goddess right in sandarya lahari for example so in my understanding perhaps the difference between um, the two um, uh, shaivite uh, uh, streams is much less than what we imagine it to be 
It's just because certainly there are people uh, who uh, are a part of uh, um, the standard Vedanta of Shankaracharya, who are also people of the world, right? They are doing everything as well. So really, in some sense, there is no difference at all. Because even in the uh, Shankara system, you know, the, 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 the philosophy has translated itself into uh, societies and social organizations and traditions within that and uh, the the smartas of south india uh, you know the, the householders being you know uh, staunch followers of shankara vedanta is very common so in, in some ways uh, in many ways rather uh, that that is true of the um, shankaracharya's uh, uh, legacy as well so that i agree with you so, uh, so that actually, uh, uh, that was another question that I wanted to ask you that, you know, uh, how does it uh, relate in terms of, in, in terms of similarities and differences with other uh, uh, Shaivisms and, and you already. I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll only, I'll only add one uh, uh, other point that even though Kashmir Shaivism is a tantric system, but it's also a smart system. Yeah. We, we worship all the uh, principal uh, uh, devas, uh, you know, so we worship uh, the goddess, uh, Vishnu and Surya and Ganesha and everybody. So all the um, you know, devatas are worshipped. Uh, and uh, so it, it is not just, um, you know, esoteric uh, tantric uh, practices. Um, that is... Uh, the serious journey of the sadhak, who then, after having obtained diksha from his or her guru, is able to explore the very structure of their consciousness and thereby then uh, find all the siddhis, just as also in a different system, in the yoga system, for example you know, Ashtanga Yoga as well, um, you uh, perform, you go within uh, through, um, through Dhyana and then uh, find out the very nature, accepting that here, the whole structure of that inner world uh, is uh, organized or is explained to you that journey takes you to different chambers of it. As for example, in Sri Vidya worship, right? So Sri Vidya worship could also be a part of, uh, of Kashmir Shaivism. Thank you. And, and in the in this South India, where Shankara Advaita is uh, you know, very famous, Abhinava Gupta continues to be an important scholar, you know, who is studied by the traditional scholars. Of course, you know, the common man would have probably just heard and not uh, very aware of uh, Kashmiri Shaivism, but the traditional scholars continue to, you know, study and that familiarity and that engagement with Kashmiri Shaivism continues. So that brings me to, um, you know, uh, of course, we spoke about um, uh, Abhinav Gupta, but there are many more scholars than there are many more uh, important persons associated with uh, Kashmiri Shaivism. And Kashmiri Shaivism itself you know, has important phases. So I just wanted to uh, learn a little more into, you know, how the, how the 
philosophy and the tradition has evolved and how uh, different people have contributed uh, to it? Well, um, there are different ways to look at this whole tradition. One can go back to Shvetashvata Upanishad, for example, where, um, where um, Shiva's, Shiva is brought right into the fore um, as the beginning, which is uh, much earlier uh, by several centuries, much earlier than uh, Vasugupta, who in his dream saw uh, the Shiva Sutras. And after that, this is about 12, 1300 years ago. And after that, you had uh, Somadeva, you have Utpaldeva, then Abhinavgupta in a direct line, and then uh, 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 Kshemaraj. So there is these great masters who wrote, um, who did Vimarsha on, um, on the, um, on the Shiva Sutras and also wrote other texts such as the Pratyabhignya, Ishwar uh, Pratyabhignya of, uh, of Utpaldeva and uh, Abhinav Gupta's commentary. Now, what is very interesting when you look at all of this from, from our vantage point of 21st century, we realize what brilliant um, thought went into this whole question, into this mystery of how is the individual able to make sense of this world? How does consciousness work? And um, the discussion in these texts by these masters um, presents all this uh, in, uh, with the background of the Buddhist thought who believed that there was nothing uh, and uh, all the memories and experiences were separated um, by and you know sort of random or arising in a in a response to uh, whatever the sensory input was and of course the inner world of the individual what uh, uh, what um, abhinav gupta and uh, others uh, were able to do very beautifully was to show that you do need um, a transcendent consciousness to bring it all together because even memories would not be possible your ability to connect to who you were in the past would not be possible un unless there was something transcendent to your current self. Because according to Buddhism, you're just now, and then um, two minutes from now, you're another individual. And of course, you may have some continuation of experience, but then how do we bring them together? How do we, as we change from moment to moment, still remain the same? Our bodies don't remain the same, but we still believe we are the same self. In a certain sense, um, the term, um, uh, the, the idea, the image that one can use is that of a axis and uh, the, the skambha. Uh, there is uh, the mention of that skambha in Atharvaveda, for example. There's this skambha around which everything changes, everything moves, and all that is moving is changing, but the axis is unchanged. Or in um, Shaiva Siddhant, for example, which is very popular in South India, uh, Tamil Nadu, Sri Lanka, and so on, which is more dualistic. You know, uh, uh, Advaita, Vedanta, and Kashmir Shaivism are um, non-dualistic, are Advaita, they are Advaita. While Shaiva Siddhant, you can, uh, you, 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 not, you don't really become Shiva, but you can obtain uh, that experience of Shiva. So there is a, there's a slight uh, distinction there in terms, of, uh, in terms of how you describe it. Because as the Upanishads say, the deepest experience cannot be communicated in words. It's always para. 
And therefore, these distinctions that we see now or we talk about now are distinctions uh, in relation to uh, in relation to how we describe to describe the deep experience in words which are always going to be insufficient uh, because the deepest experience is a para experience it's not a word experience or it's not a image experience right so i personally see uh, continuity, you know, you go back to the Vedas itself, uh, to the, the earliest Upanishads, you go, um, you, wherever you go, I see Kashmir Shaivism uh, as in perfect continuity, just as um, Advaita Vedanta of uh, Shankaracharya is also in perfect uh, um, continuity. I see all of these uh, ideas um, already prefigured. Um, within the Vedic system, um, within the Vedas itself. But of course, there they are, they appear here and there, and you have to put it all together. And what happened in the Agamas and in the other writings, in the Tantra writings uh, that emerged uh, a thousand or two thousand years ago in India, you find a more systematic exposition. In, in addition, I think they're also responding to their own times and other philosophies and other traditions like Buddhism, you, you know, you, you mentioned. And the responses to those philosophies also further enhance or give a flavor uh, to the philosophy, uh, to, to Kashmir Shaivism in this case. Uh, it's oh, a, absolutely. It's a uh, they, they did respond or they were responding because there is a certain uh, intellectual um, milieu within which each individual operates. For example, the intellectual milieu right now is uh, that of physics um, or uh, uh, modern biological sciences or brain science, neuroscience. And uh, possibly what we need to do is to uh, do, to, to, to sort of explain how with, by itself, physics cannot explain consciousness. Um, by itself, neuroscience cannot explain consciousness. It's always, the observer is always beyond. The observer, observer is not sitting on some um, neuron inside the brain because who would that be observer? How would that observer be connected to a single neuron or a, or a complex of neurons? So the observer is always beyond. And you can set up these arguments and we find that the arguments of Abhinav Gupta and others are still so relevant. But all that we need to do, or at least I've, you know, in my own writings, I've tried to do it to a certain extent, is to foreground them on the contemporary uh, scientific uh, dialogue, just as Abhinav Gupta a thousand years ago was talking with the context of uh, the uh, intellectual dialogue of its times, and also, of course, Bhartri Hari with his uh, mention of, you know, four kinds of languages, Vaikhari, Madhyama, Pashyanti, and Para. So, and I think that is certainly true even now when you're looking at um, theory of language, that language itself um, has limitations, ordinary language, and how do you tie it up in different um different uh, intuitions or pragna through pashyanti um, has to be associated with what um, the population at a certain point is uh, familiar with. And uh, for Abhinav Gupta, those were the arguments being presented by uh, Buddhist philosophers of uh, its time. And for us now, it's the arguments being discussed 
by philosophers of mind or by neuroscientists and physicists. Thank you. I think that was uh, very deep. And uh, I think that must really inspire us to uh, go deep into it. Especially the, um, you know, uh, bringing all of this into life, into our own times, in terms of aspects that are influencing us in our times, I think that is extremely important. And do you see um, scholarship moving in that direction? Do you, or, you know, we have, we have, we have remained uh, presenting uh, our ancient thought uh, in, the, in, in, in old traditional ways that make, uh, you know, uh, connection from contemporary realities difficult. Do you see, uh, how, how do you see, you know, we, uh, our latest scholarship evolving? We have a few philosophers, uh, but not um, who, who are doing it, but not as many as there should be. And the reason behind that is that very sadly, 70 years ago after India became independent, we decided to throw out all of our own shastras from our curriculum. That uh, we in our universities are taught only uh, Western knowledge or Western traditions. And it has not only, um, uh, weakened uh, our understanding of who we are. It's also made us weaker as scientists and writers because these shastras are spring wells, you know, which um, provide energy and intuition to us in whatever we might want to do. Um, just to give you a little story, um, until uh, 1947, uh, a lot of people, even though at that time also the universities did not uh, teach our own shastras. And these shastras are science. You know, first of all, I don't understand why the shastras should be kept out of uh, the academy, out of the universities, because they are not religion. They are not uh, believing in this or that. They are argumentative in terms of discussions, logical framework. So uh, until 1947, you know, the story is that uh, Vivekananda, when he went to uh, New York in 1896, I believe, uh, he met Nikola Tesla, the famous uh, engineer and uh, scientist at those times. And he says, look, according to our knowledge, according to Vaisheshika, energy and mass should be connected. So can you do research on it? Because this will be very helpful to you. And um, Tesla promised to him that he will do it. And then, um, uh, of course, uh, Tesla did not discover E equal to MC squared. But, um, uh, but the point is that we need to go for, from two different directions. One is when we are discussing Kashmir Shaivism or Vedanta or philosophy, we should bring in uh, contemporary discourse and uh, present it uh, with the discourse in the background so that there is an enrichment of uh, the discussion. The second is if you are a scientist, the greatest scientists in the West also want to go back to the roots they go back to the Greeks, for example. And the greatest scientists in the West also come to Vedanta. In fact, some of them, many of them, the greatest ones have journeyed to Vedanta, um, to the Vedas and been enriched by it and acknowledged it. But our own scientists have been prevented, first of all, by a lot of pressure in the media that all of this is religion. You know, all of this is sectarian. This is universal science. Uh, 
consciousness is uh, is the deepest uh, scientific problem that there is. And this is what the Vedas are all about. This is what Vedanta is all about, whether you, uh, it is uh, uh, Shankara's Vedanta or Kashmir Shaivism Vedanta or the other different practices, or if you are a whether you are a Sri Vaishnavite, right? You're a Sri Vaishnavite, which is which is also Vedanta, which is also a tantric system, which goes into the very heart of it. As uh, I think um, it is um, Skanda Upanishad, he said, uh, which says that Shiva and Vishnu are the heart of each other. They are just names for the same reality, the same reality within us, right? So all of this comes together. And all of this coming together not only rejuvenates India because India needs to be, or Bharat needs to be born with each generation, for each generation, but it becomes the message for the entire humanity. All of humanity is looking for answers, answers to this question of what is consciousness. And modern science cannot reach it. And the only tradition which has a rich structure where there has been sadhana for thousands of years, where there have been sadhaks who have talked about what they found. We need to be connected to it and explore it. And if you don't like, you can leave it, right? But at least it should be a part of our conversation. I think we need our own pratyapignana in this uh, case. You know, the uh, institution and the state of India has to uh, rediscover uh, these aspects uh, of ours. Hope this Mahashivaratri will become a turning point in our lives. Uh, that brings me to a very interesting uh, point that I read, but that I do not understand sufficiently. That is, you know, there's been some kind of a reconciliation of the Iran Iranian philosophical tradition uh, back with the Vedic tradition that was attempted by Kashmiri uh, Shaivism is what I have read. Is that uh, true or, you know, how do you uh, look at this? Can you please elaborate on this? Well, um, it's not very uh, widely known that um, Shiva worship uh, also went outside of India and uh, it's to be found in Central Asia and Maheshwara uh, images are to be found all over Central Asia, including in China. Until um, Central Asia, which is Xinjiang, uh, fell to Islam, the Uyghurs who came down, they destroyed uh, um, the religion, nominally Buddhist, but they used Sanskrit and Gandhari and other North Indian languages in Central Asia at that time. And uh, they saved all those texts, which were discovered only 100 years ago in Dunhuang Caves. And there's a big international project on uh, the texts of Dunhuang Caves, which has revealed that all amazing history of Central Asia, where Maheshwara, the worship, was a very important element. Now, what's also interesting is that further west, in what is Samarkand and Uzbekistan and all the way, the Sogdia, it's called uh, the Sogdians were a people who were spread all the way to Caspian Sea. And through them, they influenced uh, uh, the Slavs, the Russians, the Ukrainians, the Eastern Europe, Europeans. So they also worshiped Maheshwara. So Shiva was a presence everywhere. In fact, the Zoroastrians, before the advent of Islam in the Iranian world, the Zoroastrians in Central Asia also incorporated Maheshwara. 
So Shiva became a part of it because I suppose they did recognize because after all, you know, every human being, unless they are held in bondage, wants truth, right? Wants wisdom. So they must have realized that Shiva is the pathway to wisdom. And here we are connected through our lived experience, social experience to our symbols, but really ultimately knowledge uh, can be revealed to us only uh, by the self within us, right? And the symbol of that is Shiva, right? Um, in, in this uh, discourse. So Maheshwara was a part. It wasn't that they were consciously trying to incorporate that into their system, but uh, we do uh, have um, um, uh, we do have evidence. For example, at the other end in Southeast Asia as well, in Java, um, where there were Buddhist kingdoms and Hindu kingdoms, that um, the general consensus was that Buddha and Shiva are two sides of the same coin. In fact. Uh, uh, the uh, the big uh, uh, emblem of uh, Indonesia, Bhinnek, uh, something I forget. Uh, that one uh, in bin, in Bhinnata in variety is oneness, and there the next line does say that Shiva and Vishnu are uh, Shiva and Buddha are two sides of the same coin. So uh, I I believe or I imagine that uh, in uh, through the Iranian world. Uh, and uh, perhaps to speak of Central Asia only in Iranian terms is misleading because um, uh, Indians were a large element. So Sanskrit must have been a large element of uh, that presence. And we find a connection between um, the Sanskritic word. In, now, Iranian itself is also a Sanskritic language, uh, but uh, um, leaving the the. Uh, peculiarities or specificities associated with the Iranian language complex, we also find parallels between Sanskrit and Slavic languages. In fact, uh, before the Christianization of the Slavic world, the, the main deity uh, in uh, the Slavic world uh, was uh, what they call Shvetavid. Now you'll see it's a Sanskrit word, the knower of light, you know, Shiva as Prakasha, knower of light. And Shvetavid had four faces, and the four faces were Swarga, uh, Parjanya, which who's another form of uh, Indra, um, Lada, uh, which is uh, also a Sanskrit term, uh, and uh, then Moksha. Moksha was to the east. So you had these ideas all over, um, I suppose, as anonymous uh, scholars or missionaries. Um, people must have gone. And Parjanya is also was worshipped uh, uh, in Kashmir all along. Because Kashmir was, as I mentioned to you, was not just uh, exclusive worship of Shiva. It was all the Vedic divinities. Uh, it was the Vedic system. Where all These are all terms for the same reality, for the same presence, uh, who is beyond words, which is para. And we um, worship different manifestations of para in the embodied world through Shakti, as Vimarsha, you know, and through Vimarsha, we are then able to turn the gaze around and recognize ourselves. Fantastic. I think, uh, I think this, is, this is an aspect that, you know, many of us are not uh, very well aware of because, uh, you know, we know how um, Buddhism has gone from India 
and you know into different parts of the world and how it has evolved further over there but uh, you know uh, shaivism kashmiri shaivism and then you know things going out of india and then coming back to india in different forms and which means there has been significant uh, you know engagement uh, throughout even if you know things moved out right fact, I, let, uh, let me just add one small point that um, they the buddhists themselves uh, viewed buddha and shiva as uh, in a in a kind of a dual manner because buddha is working upwards you know you have the five koshas working upwards trying to understand reality of course uh, there was a intellectual uh, tradition within buddhism which spoke about that there is not an atma the anatma doctrine but that's not necessarily uh, buddha's own um, uh, uh, belief because on his deathbed in the mahanirvan sutra uh, mahaparinirvan sutra of the mahayana uh, buddha speaks about what uh, persists after the body is gone which is of course the idea of atman and so shiva uh, as in that triad of gyana uh, smriti and apohana right in the shaivite system and in the vaishnavite system of smriti gyana uh, and apohana as uh, declared by uh, krishna so the maheshwara is up down you know through intuition coming down and buddha is through um, smriti which is uh, in um, the popular western term now being called mindfulness through smriti through meditation and words going from bottom up so really the deep thinkers recognize that and the deep thinkers in kashmir and it's not just a question of thinking the deep sadhaks realize that these were two sides to the same journey and depending upon one's own predilection one's temperament one might want to go one way through smriti further down or the other way from through jnana as first through chamatkar as first and come down and 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 in that sense shiva and on mahashivaratri day we should uh, remind ourselves shiva um, uh, has exercise this extremely powerful influence uh, all over uh, the west through the sogdians who did worship maheshwara to the uh, slavic world and beyond to europe and also through the through the ship route from south india to greece and rome because we have evidence of those connections uh, very deep uh, trade connections and also to the east through from dhyana to chana to zen in japan where again the whole idea is of shiva you know you want to go beyond paradoxes and dichotomies to the deeper presence who is shiva fantastic i think um, um you know there is so much that we do not know you know even as we think we know buddhism you know it's forced separation from the uh, vedic system and the vedic uh, society has uh, made it very difficult for us to uh, know these aspects of it and you know that that is it's important that these aspects are also foregrounded 
Well, I, I think what happened was that these Western European scholars, they were with their limited understanding or intuition at that point, they saw everything as divisions while that was not necessarily the way we ourselves saw all these traditions. See, for example, they said here, Vaishnavism and Shaivism are two separate religions. They even use that term. But now look, you have Abhinav Gupta, who's also a master Vaishnavite, who's written this great commentary in the Bhagavad Gita. And he's also written on the Shiva Sutras and Pratyabhignya and so on. So in India, the greatest masters saw them as one yeah. and Buddhism as well. While because of the weakness of the Indian um, Academy, uh, sadly, which is why we have needed uh, new initiatives like the Indic Academy, weakness of the Indic Academy, uh, Indian Academy, where uh, the Westerner wants to divide as much as, the, as he or she can in order to control and then say, hey, I'm the person, I'm the go person to tell you what is right and what is wrong, because there is prestige. It's, it becomes a whole question of power, how to wield power. So it's the best tradition is about wielding power and not about understanding. So thank you so much. So I was just saying that, um, you know, uh, Dr. Tuck, you were, you were referring to uh, the situation of academics in India. and. And you made a very key point on um, you know, the tendency of um, India, even if we classify, we tend to integrate after classification. This is, this is the perspective of class. Otherwise, in India, you can see taxonomical orientation to be extraordinarily high. You know, like you mentioned about Parapashanti Madhima Vaikari. I mean that kind of a perspective on uh, on, on language is is totally you know you cannot find anywhere. But there is an integration. Similarly, you know even we when we um, uh, uh, kind of classify different aspects uh, in the society, we tend to look for what is how do we integrate. Whereas you know what we have learned in the last two fifty years is to classify and create and, and, and see as much chasm and as much distance between two that is irreconcil not reconcilable. But, and then somebody else steps in to arbitrate and manage and you know gain control. So it's clearly a control project. So that we need to overcome. That's a very important point uh, that you made. And I think, you know, um, studying philosophies such as Kashmiri Shaivism will help us appreciate how in spite of having a separate entity, there is a connectedness with, you know, diverse philosophies around at that time. So I think that that perspective itself, apart from everything else, that orientation towards life itself is very uh, interesting. So that brings me to the um, last uh, point uh, of discussion uh, for today. Uh, how do you think the philosophy impacted history and uh, how do you think it, it impacted life in general? And, you know, uh, something that we can even see today as an impact of uh, Kashmiri uh, Shaivism and how the tradition is alive today, you know, how the river has flown from its, um, you know, great days of uh, Abhinavagupta. 
Well, I let me put it uh, from a slightly different perspective. Where do we stand now? What relevance does uh, Kashmir Shaivism have for our modern times? I think um, due to the successes of science of the Aparavidya of the past couple of hundred years, which is wonderful, which has changed our lives, which has made it possible for people to speak to each other uh, across continents and Absolutely. do things. Because of where uh, Apara Vidya has taken society, the, the gap between the outer and the inner within each individual has become wider. Each individual has become more alienated from their true self. They're imprisoned by technology, imprisoned by, uh, by activities uh, which are controlled by technology, right? And I think at this, in, at this juncture, it's more important than ever before for, um, for, one, for each individual to look within and discover that even though the outer world, as we know, terrestrially has been explored quite well, you know, you can go around the world and see all the interesting places that there are to see, but an even more exciting world resides within each one of us. We need not give up as many people who don't know about uh, Advaita Vedanta or Vedanta in general uh, in the West uh, have come to depression and grief, gotten into addictions, into uh, um, opioids and died. You know, 60, 70,000 people die every year in the United States uh, because of these addictions, because they think that life is meaningless. You know, if you are nothing but the body, then what is uh, life all about? That's where Vedanta becomes the central message of not only our times, but of the 21st century. This is what is going to show the way to everybody. And that's where I think we need to uh, use all the energies that we have to connect to people, first of all, within India itself, because of the sad situation we have experienced over the past 60, 70 years, where our own people outside of non-conventional uh, channels such as Indic Academy and uh, social media, etc., don't have access to all the amazing, extraordinary Shastras that are a part of our tradition. Because certainly Bharat was uh, far ahead of every other country in even the Apara sciences until two, 300 years ago. And certainly in Para, the West uh, as uh, Dalai Lama in one of his talks said, the West is like in KG, kindergarten. He was talking in particular about psychology. He says, Western psychology is like uh, KG compared to Indian psychology. And by psychology, he really means spiritual sciences, Atma Vidya. So India needs to have more Atma Vishwas to be, and that Atma Vishwas will be obtained if we knew our own Shastras. And with that Atma Vishwas, we can change the whole world. And without Atma Vishwas, we cannot even be Atma Nirbhar, right? We want to be Atma Nirbhar, but for that, we must have Atma Vishwas. And it's not a fake Atma Vishwas. It truly is informed by the most extraordinary uh, wisdom. Um, and we must celebrate it on this Mahashivratri day. Maybe this would be the new beginning where we should proclaim it boldly for everybody. It's not sectarian at all. It's not for this community or that community. It is universal wisdom. Why we want to share it with everybody else in the world.
Thank you so much. And I think, you know, um, on this Mahashivaratri, uh, let us pray to Shiva that, you know, we undertake this journey towards Pratyabhijnana, both, you know, for our own selves, as well as towards our great heritage and the intellectual tradition, that, you know, we must really uh, take forward and demonstrate that we are, um, you know, deserving, uh, uh, you know, of all that our ancestors have uh, done to us. Thank you so much. And Thank once you. again, I uh, wish you uh, on this occasion of uh, Mahashivaratri and you know, uh, thank you uh, to all our uh, viewers. We wish you all um, a great uh, Mahashivaratri. And um, we hope that this has inspired all of you to take a few steps towards our intellectual tradition and the philosophical tradition. Dhaniyavad. Namaskar. Namaskar.